My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a husband, father, serial entrepreneur, and co-founder of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. From my favorite nightly news and commentary show, the co-host of CrossPolitik, please welcome the water boy, Gabe Wrench. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. One of the most overused phrases of the past couple years has been, the hill you're willing to die on. It references wartime, where men choose the place they'll make a stand and possibly give their lives. Today, it refers to taking a political stand. Drag Queen Story Hour is the hill some men are willing to die on. Jab mandates is another one. For some, it's firearms regulations, and these are all fine. After all, death for a noble cause is woven into the blood and bones of men. It's one of the best things about us. Because who among us doesn't tear up at the charge of the Rohirrim, longing for our king to shout, Death! before we charge into a hopeless but righteous battle. But I wonder if there's a problem with the metaphor because many of us know what we're willing to die for, and that's great. But let me ask you something. Do you know what you're willing to live for? Before you cringe into your own navel hearing me say something so cliche, let me put that question to you another way. Do you know what you're willing to build for? And what if the question isn't, which hill are you willing to die on, men? Which hill are you willing to build on? Which hill are you willing to risk failure on? Is that not its own kind of death? Death to fear, comfort, complacency, and even death to self? Is that not the true Christian call? Not to follow me and die, like on a hill, but to die to self and follow me. What if it's time for all of us Christian men to start thinking like that? Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Gabe Wrench, aka The Waterboy, and he's many things. A husband, father of three, media and PR consultant, Christian tech entrepreneur, and more. But you probably know him best as the co-founder of the Fight Laugh Feast Network, which produces rowdy Christian content in magazines, a major conference, courses, and of course the popular podcast CrossPolitik, of which he's a co-host with Pastor Toby Sumter, a friend of the show, and Chocolate Knox. If you're thinking that's a lot of fruitfulness for just one man, you're right. And that's exactly why I was thrilled to have Gabe on the podcast. Because faced with our current national predicament, we have three choices. Surrender and hide in our basements. Hope to literally fight and die. Or build. While those other perspectives might be popular, if you ask me, it's time we start listening to the wisdom of men like Gabe, the builders. In our conversation, Gabe and I discussed the three waves of podcast creation, generational wealth and entrepreneurship, how to structure your Christian business, how Christians sell out their businesses to pagans, what charismatics get right, and the influence of Gnosticism on the church 
and much more. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. This is a free podcast that takes effort to produce. You can give back by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify and sharing this episode with a friend. Also, you can find this interview on the Renaissance of Men YouTube channel, which you can access by visiting youtube.com slash at renofmen. And you can find me causing trouble and hurting feelings on both Twitter and Instagram under the handle at renofmen. This episode is sponsored by my 12-week Renaissance of Men mentorship. The world says masculinity is toxic. Everything the world says is backwards. That means masculinity is medicine. Keep listening to find out more or visit renofmen.com slash mentorship to view testimonials and read all about it. For a limited time until the end of January, you can use the code intro to get 15% off. And please welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, one of my new favorite episodes of all time, from CrossPolitik, the water boy, Gabe Wrench. Hey, Gabe, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Will, man. Good to be here. So I've been looking forward to this conversation because um, one of the themes that I think is really important for 2023 is Christian men learning to build. This idea has sort of been coming around in 2022, but in 2023, it seems really crucial. And as I look at your email signature and all the different businesses that you're in, I think I've got about several of them, Dropwave, Pango Media, Fight, Laugh, Feast, Deftwire, CrossPolitik, and now Patriots for DeSantis. You've got your hands yeah. on a lot of things and you've built a lot of things. I wonder if we could just start there talking about entrepreneurship and, and, and building Christian-owned and run businesses. Yeah, I think um, part of what it means, uh, part of, I guess, what drives me is just my motivation with um, uh, my walk with the Lord and, and what it means to be a, just a, a godly Christian and provider for your own family. I remember when I first got married, so I got married in 2005. And that first six months after getting married, I remember just like all of a sudden this new drive kicked in for me to like, I need to provide for my wife, build a family and build a house, have room for kids. And it was something I had never experienced before. I'd always had drive, but it was not channeled very well. Uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with that drive. But this is why I encourage you men to get married earlier is because it really... Yeah opens up a certain drive in you that you, you, you don't even realize that you have because, um, you know, men are, men are like pit bulls. They're just kind of all over the place. But once you put a weighted vest on a pit bull, all of a sudden they start, they start going straight. You know, they start focusing, they mm. start feeling like they're carrying something, uh, of value. And, and I think that's kind of what happened to me was all of a sudden I got the, the, the weighted pack on me with all my gear or, and realized I need to start providing and learn how to provide well for my wife and, and future kids. And so that's, that was kind of like the, the seedlings of this drive that I, that I got when I, when I got married. And then over, over time as, um, um, growing in the Lord, I went to, I went to great fires, which is our kind of, um, little seminary here in town. It's our, our church seminary, uh, went through great fires and, and God really used great fires to like, just, give me a lot more meat on, on the bones of my faith. Mm. Uh, and, and as I kind of got more theology in me, I, I started a better understanding of myself. It's, under, it's amazing when you, when you, when you study God's word, when you study God, you know, God more, all of a sudden, you know, yourself more. It oftentimes people think they need to go find themselves. It's like, no, find, find God's word, find out who you are in Christ and you'll far better understand yourself in light of the scriptures. 
Yeah. And, and then, uh, I, I was, a uh, I graduated college in 2005. When I exited college, I went to work for uh, an economic firm. Uh, you know, basically that was my business school. I went, I worked there for that firm for 12 years. Uh, I became vice president of business development before I left the company in 2012. And, um, we went, excuse me, 2012, 2016. Uh, and we, um, uh, went through three venture capital sales, I think while I was there. So it really was business school. I, I grew into being vice president of business development. I yeah. basically grew into a sales leader, um, there at the company and my CEO kind of same thing. Like we all kind of went through business school. We had this young startup that matured over time into a venture capital sale, a couple of venture capital sales. And, and so going through that process, it really, I really, I mean, it was like boot camp, business mm-hmm. boot camp. You know, this is one of the benefits of, of being able to, being her disciples and being her peers and being able to grow in a company is that you you get to go through this boot camp process and learn how to do business um, uh, with you know other wise leaders around another and also other men who are kind of going through it with you too. They're trying to figure it out at the same time at some at some level. I remember uh, the first venture capital company that bought us was just this group of I think three men out of California. That's what they did. They just bought small companies, helped them build, helped them get their business model right. And then they would um, flip them and they would sell them once they kind of figured out this is the way you need to be focusing. And that those group of three men like really put us through business school, helped us hone our business model, help us focus the company. And, and the company now, I think the last venture sell that sold over for, I think it sold over 300 million North of 300 million. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of it at that point, <laughs> which is unfortunate. How it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's how it goes. And then so, you know, kind of going through all that experience and then into when I started CrossPolitik, I started CrossPolitik. Um, that's my uh, podcast and TV show for those who are listening, CrossPolitik.com. It's it's a podcast I host with um, Chocolate Knox, Pastor Toby Sumter, and it's just a Jesus over politics um, show. We started the podcast in 2016, and I started my own consulting company then, too. Uh, and, uh, you know, cross uh, podcast back then. So I think there's, if you look over the history of podcasting, you know, um, there's been about three waves so far, three major waves. You got your kind of initial wave was when podcast starting in about 2008, but that wave didn't really hit to like 2009, 2010, 2011, kind of, that was the first wave. I think Apologia hit that wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in um, 2016, when I started um, CrossPolitik, that was about the second wave that started to happen. Um, and that wave happened for a number of reasons. Uh, for us, uh, we had the additional spike of President Trump becoming president. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're doing a Christian show about politics and a guy like President Trump becomes president, all of a sudden, all these people are like, how do I think about this? You know, yeah. so there, uh, but, but there's another growth of podcasts um, in uh, listenership in 2015-16. Um, and so we kind of, I think kind of naturally caught some of that wave. And then you had the 2020 wave, which is where you started your podcast. Uh, and the 2020 wave, uh, kind of came from the shutdown, everything shut Mm -hmm. down, um, a huge distrust for mainstream media, um, and main mainstream government kind of crept in. And so everyone started looking for their information from non-traditional sources, um, you know, uh, like podcasts. Um, you, you think about podcasts right now, we're, we're 
in a lot of ways, we're like Gutenberg press, um, you know, 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, we aren't the gatekeepers of cable news, the gatekeepers of NBC, ABC, CNN, the gatekeepers of even, you know, the government and, uh, all, all these gatekeepers just can't control podcasts. It's like a wild, wild west um, yeah. information system right now, and so it's super powerful, and and it's a it's a real threat to mainstream media. I honestly believe that our network, Fight Lab Beast Network, Cross Politic um, shows like yours will. I think in the next twenty years, um, we're going to be dominating the, the the media outlets because right now. They're paying, you know, Sean Hannity is getting paid $20 million a year to be a host at Fox. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Anderson Cooper, um, uh, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson, I think he's 30 million, something like that. But it's like they're getting paid. They have all this overhead, all this astronomical overhead. Um, and right now, mainstream media has the perception of all the kind of cultural authority and viewership. But that's not true. Yeah. It's already things are the, the they're already starting to, the, the 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 floodgates are already starting to open you know joe rogan gets more views on one podcast than tucker carlson does in three nights right you know yeah. it already it, the the floodgates are already opening up we um you remember when cnn uh released cnn plus the app <laughs> that was like, like three, three weeks or something yeah three window yeah. Like three weeks for for a month or whatever we got more downloads that month than their app listenership got. Now, of course, it's their first month. They would have gotten more. But the point is, is like mainstream media is already trying to, they're trying to figure out how to play in this world and they don't even know how to play in this world. They can't. And, and show, they can't. Um, and we don't, um, Gabe's never going to get paid $30 million a year at Cross Baltic. You know, that's just not going to happen. Um, uh, but uh, our agile business model is going to be far more set up for uh, the next 30 years than Fox is or CNN is. Mm -hmm. The overhead that CNN, Fox, and all these other companies uh, have is is astronomical compared to where we're at, where you're at, that kind of thing, um, and everything. So I, I see media 2.0, media 3.0, what we're doing, as super strategic to the whole entrepreneur. This gets into our conversation about entrepreneurship, this whole entrepreneur world. You all of a sudden, the gatekeepers, I don't have to speak through um, ABC, Fox, CNN. I don't have to do a press release to try to get attention. I don't have to hire a PR company to get my, my word out. I can, I can speak directly to the public through the podcast in my mom's basement, all the way into Australia, you know, Denmark, <laughs> UK, yeah. all over the place. Now, of course, you have to do the hard work of get, gaining, gaining an audience and getting attention. Um, and that's a that's another conversation. But the the ability to communicate through podcasts and 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 create this whole new entrepreneurial world that's being created around this is is significant. That's why this gets into in 2016. I started Cross Politic. Um, well, uh, last year I started Dropwave.com. Dropwave is just a podcast hosting provider, mm -hmm. and I started Dropwave. Because and this is, as you look at your, the task that God has given you, as you look at uh, the responsibilities God has given you at work, you know, maybe you're an employee, maybe you're a manager or even an owner, at whatever level God has you, you need to be analyzing what, where are things at? What am I doing? What opportunities 
do I have within the context of where God has me? Because mm-hmm. there's opportunities all around you. And, and, the, and the lazy person is the one that's not going to see them. Yeah. And so in 2000, and, uh, last year I started Dropwave. And like I said, it's just a podcast hosting provider. Um, there's a lot of podcast hosting providers out there. It's nothing, um, uh, it's nothing special in terms of the technology on the market. I mean, you got Castos, you got Podbean, you got a number of competitors to Dropwave that we have. But I started Dropwave because CrossPolitik um, had been suspended from YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we're now five times in the last year and a half now. I think we just got suspended again at about uh, before Christmas. At the end of the year, I saw that. I want to talk to you yeah. about that too. Yeah. 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 And I'll talk about it more, but we got suspended. So I started thinking, um, okay, getting suspended on YouTube really hurts us financially. It brings in a lot of new listeners to us. Okay. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, YouTube has, uh, it's, it's where people go to watch and engage content. Yeah. Facebook is where people go to, you know, um, flip through their feed. So they might flip on a video for argue with their high school, (laughs) their high school people. (laughs) But they also, but they're, but then they might flip on a video for like a minute or two. Um, but they aren't going to watch a show. Um, well, like YouTube, YouTube is where listeners go to listen. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, same thing. You're going through a feed. So YouTube has a, a very special audience there. Very, it, 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 the way people engage content is very different. So when we get suspended, it hurts very much. But I started thinking, I was like, what if our podcast got suspended? Well, the audience we have on podcasts, I mean, we get, we get hundreds of thousands of downloads a month, millions of downloads a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over, I think over 4 million a year. Whoa, my chair just snapped <laughs> on me. There we go. Um, and, and wow. so if our podcast, um, got suspended or, or the podcast hosting provider, um, uh, deleted us or whatever they did, canceled us, well, we would lose a, our listenership. That would, yeah. that would kill us. That would bury us. And so that's why I started Dropwave. Um, I started it to serve CrossPolitik and to keep CrossPolitik from, um, uh, g- you know, getting the light switched out. And so we're in this weird cancel culture where it actually is creating all these opportunities for entrepreneurship in a, in a way. So Dropwave, um, uh, I mean, it's it's a free speech, you know, Christian podcast hosting provider. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not going to cancel you. Um, you know, we say on our, we, we have this ad on our show, um, uh, where Dropwave won't cancel you like, um, the Minnesota trust bank canceled Mike Lindell, mm-hmm. um, Dropwave won't cancel you like MailChimp canceled Babylon B. They did MailChimp canceled yeah. Babylon B. It's insane. Yeah. Um, Stripe, Stripe canceled president Trump's, uh, merch accounts. Stripe did as a payment processing system, mm-hmm. which is why if, if you listen to the show, you'll know one of our partners is dimepayments.com dime payments is a christian um processing company you mentioned cross policy you get a discount all that stuff um, but dime payments uh is a christian processing company if stripe came and canceled our ability to receive revenue from clients mm. you know trump might be able to weather that storm we wouldn't be able to weather that storm very well um and we'd have to figure out you know paypal canceled american vision you know this cancel culture world is I think creating a new kind of uh, virtuous market, yeah. um, and it's uh, and so that's why I started Dropwave. So um, cross politics started in 2016, and then kind of through this journey 
of where I've been with this this whole podcast entrepreneurial world. It's wild, wild west. I mean, you're experiencing it. Well, it makes you think in ways you've never thought before. Yeah. Um, for you to know that you can be sitting in your house in Arizona, knowing that you're speaking to people in Australia, uh, Japan, Mexico, uh, you know, um, North Korea, if they can, you know, if they can get, get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it expands uh, how you think about what you're doing in the world. So in 2016, when we started cross politics, the goal was, well, um, I just wanted to proclaim the Lordship of Christ over politics. There wasn't very many podcasts doing that. There wasn't very many Christians. The, the church had not discipled its people on how to think about and apply the Bible to politics very well at all in yep. culture. Uh, there's this huge, you know, discipleship gap there. And, which is, I think, another reason why we grew so fast was because there's this, the, the, the sheep, the people of God, the, the church, they're hungry and their pastors weren't feeding them. And so they went and found the food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's why Al Mohler has such a big presence is because he talks about church, Bible and politics on his, on his um, briefing. Um, now I think it's, a lot of his analysis is good. And I think a lot, some of his analysis is anemic or he, and he avoids topics that I don't think he should avoid and stuff like <laughs> that. But, um, I think, uh, uh, but he's addressing something that most pastors re- refuse to address. And, and then as you kind of journey in this podcast world in 2016, 17, and then you start getting into this cancel culture that really started getting heavy in 2018 and 19. And then you, and then 2020 hit, you know, COVID pandemic, um, everything shuts down. People's all of a sudden people found out what their boss was really made of. Mm-hmm. what their CEO was really made of, what their pastor was really made of. Yeah. And we, um, uh, Nassim, I forget the guy's name. Um, uh, he wrote, uh, Nassim, he wrote Nassim Tlaib, Tlaib, Tlaib. Yeah. yeah. He wrote this book called anti-fragile <laughs> and yeah. the, yeah, I'm sure you've read it. Uh, but the, but the, the, Terminology, I think, is very helpful um, in how we phrase uh, um, this concept of anti-fragile. Is that you want to develop your your work life, your family life, your spiritual life, you know, your church life. You you want to develop your life and structure it in such a way where everything that happens that you're building is anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, for example, there's always going to be storms that come. There's always going to be economic downturns. There's always going to be uh, hardships. There's always going to be problems and so forth. But do your best to design uh, your business. Let's work with the business here. Do your best to work to design your business in such, such a way where when that storm comes, when that downturn in the economy comes, you're anti-fragile. You can weather that storm. In fact, you're stronger as a company when you come out of that downturn in the economy. You know, Um, I think he used the analogy, like when you're working out, you're tearing your muscles, you know, you're, you're lifting weights, you're tearing muscles, but by the time your body heals up, you're stronger. You go through this process of breaking down your body, but then when you're, when your body heals back up, you're actually stronger. And that's how we need to be thinking as Christians is we want, and, and this first and foremost, this anti-fragile concept, first and foremost, I think we need to understand that it applies with sin in our life first. You have to deal with, if you want to be an anti-fragile Christian out in the world, well, you can't have any hooks of sin in your life. 
you can't have any um, uh, chains wrapped around you. You can't have closet pornography problems. You can't have, um, uh, you know, hidden hidden sins uh, that if they were exposed would take down your whole life, and rightly so. Yep. Um, and and so the concept of this this anti fragile concept, we want to be able to as Christians deal with our sin in our life. And this is what this is what's so glorious about being a Christian is you want everything in the light. Yep. And when we know when we confess our sin. Where actually what God is doing is God is, you know, forgiving us of our sins, but in his own way, he is working in us new strength. Mm-hmm. He is building, he's breaking us down and building us up anew in Christ. We don't stand on our own feet as we fall, yeah. but in his own way, he is, he is actually building us up and giving us more authority in that, it, 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 on the other side of that confession of sin. Uh, and so you want to you want to make sure you're living your life in such a way. You want to run inventory, run inventory on your life. How's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with your kids? You know, um, do you you know want to be in ministry? And well, um, one of the qualifications of being in ministry is having faithful children. Well, um, you know, if you are in ministry and you don't have faithful children, well, then you're you're fragile, mm-hmm. right? You, you need to step down from ministry and be faithful, and you should step down and all that stuff. Um, but you're kind of fragile. Um, you're creating a fragile situation for your for your ministry by not focusing on your on your family or your kids. Same thing in business. If you're in business and and your your business is full of debt and you have all these hooks of creditors all around you, well, you're a very fragile company. Yeah. Um, and and so you got to deal with that. So you want to build your 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 family, your spiritual, your economic life. In such a way where you're um, hook free as possible, and you're and you're able to weather those storms and everything. So that's what happened um, as we we're thinking through cross politics in 2017, 18, 19. We started thinking that way, and then 2020 hit. And um, one of the ways you just interrupt me, Will. I'll just keep going. You just interrupt me that's, whenever you want. That's okay. We're, um, I'm I'm excited where this is going. Actually, okay, okay. One of one of the things uh, that we realized very quickly. So when cross politics as an organization formed, we actually signed up and formed as an LLC. And the reason why we did an LLC, not traditionally ministries like this would do nonprofits, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, fi- some sort of 501c3, something like that. We did an LLC um, for a couple of reasons. Oh, and, and the anti-fragile concept was behind this. But one of the reasons, one of the practical reasons was we're, we're going to be speaking in the politics 95% of the time. Yep. And you can't have a 501c3 that does this. Um, so practically, we're just kind of forced into that um, situation. The other reason why we didn't form uh, a 501c3 was because a lot of 501c3 ministries, so Christians love to give to successful media ministries. Christians love to give to you know apologetic ministries, pro-life ministries, and of course, all those are good things, um, ministries to the poor. Those are kind of like you know heartstrings for Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to get, you know, a list of 10 donors who were big donors, gave us a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever. Uh, and then we say something that frustrates one of the donors and then they call in and cancel their donation that year. And then you lose, you know, 45% of your operations money or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we knew that we were going to be hitting all sorts of hot button topics. 
because you're talking about politics in Christ. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. it, 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 you know, so, so we structured our company as an LLC and we're trying to, we're still working on this, but we're structuring it in a way where we're as anti-fragile as possible. We've had, um, club members cancel us and leave because, um, for all sorts of reasons, my favorite, my favorite club member cancellation was, uh, one club member. I don't know how long he'd been a club member, but he emailed me and said, Hey, I'm canceling my club membership because we've, we, I found out that you're for interracial marriage. <laughs> I'm like, how long, Why? how long you been listening to our, I mean, you know, we have a black man on our show. I mean, yeah, right. you know, uh, yeah. it's like, he doesn't how long chocolate you been, knocks. You, know, you can't, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. give it anyway. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he had a huge problem with interracial marriage or whatever. Mm. Yes. So, but because we've structured our, yeah, see you later. Adios, amigo. But because we've, <laughs> but because we've structured our cross-politic in such a way where we aren't dependent on one club member or one yeah. donor, if someone disagrees with us and, and moves on, that's fine. Lord bless them out the door. Um, it doesn't kill us, you know? And so we're constantly trying to think through cross politic and how to keep it anti-fragile in this world. And that includes structural, you know, servers, um, payment processing systems like dime payments that I mentioned, um, uh, hosting providers, how we, how we, um, work with YouTube and rumble and Facebook and Twitter and all, you know, we're constantly trying to sort through this process of how to be anti-fragile. And it's constantly a battle, especially for conservative Christian media. Yeah. Um, where people are getting, you know, we're getting canceled left and right on YouTube and so forth and everything. So, so that's kind of the journey to cross politics and then the drop wave. And then, uh, uh, I started Pingo Media. Um, uh, Pingo Media is, um, a public relations company. Um, I started about two and a half years ago, three years ago, and it just kind of was a, um, it came out of when I left my company in 2016, um, I was doing a lot of marketing uh, and even sales. And there's, there's layers of consulting I was doing um, largely around kind of marketing and business consulting. Um, and I liked that. It, I mean, it was how God was helped me pay the bills. Um, but then as I kind of started growing cross politics, I started realizing that um, the opportunity Christians don't tend to think of Christians tend to think of public relations in two categories. Either you have a public relations snarl and you need to hire a company to help you get out of that PR debacle. Emergency. Or emergency, whatever. Or you're just trying to grow your personnel, your personal brand. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a superstar. I'm a rock star. And I'm just, I just trying to become more famous or whatever. Sure. But, but there's actually, um, a real practical, um, need i think for christians to focus on and to be involved in more public relations side of how they grow their business so i largely work with christian content creators and, and christian ceos those are businesses mm -hmm. uh and so especially in this new media world there's a lot of opportunities for christians who have um you know um uh, subject matter experts um mm -hmm. as a ceo who have written a book, who have um, a lot to offer um, in interviews, um, uh, usually, uh, or, and then like what happened to me in 2020, you know, I got arrested and I had like my 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Hopefully and, we'll get to that soon. And, 
yeah, we'll get that. You know, I'm glad to go on that. I'll just mention it here, drop it here. Um, and, and, but to channel what you can do on the PR side of things and this new media world is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And so I work with a lot of, um, CEOs and Christian content creators and help them, um, you know, basically get on shows, get on podcasts, get on radio shows, get on TV shows, develop kind of what, what would their, um, PR campaign look like, develop their markets. Um, you know, I, um, if it's a businessman, you know, CEO, owner of a Christian company, then we, you know, try to define, well, what markets do you think your company would really gain a lot of attraction in or get a lot of, um, uh, value out of, you know, the lifestyles market, the military market, the Christian market, the business entrepreneurial market, the, um, you know, cooking show market, whatever. And then we'll go after those markets and get them on those shows and those markets. Um, well, now that CEO, has the ability to talk about their company, to talk about their company culture, to talk about their product and services, to add value to the audience and to the show through, you know, talking about his subject matter information, subject matter expert information on, you know, supply chains or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's able to actually start to affect a cultural, um, uh, start to have an impact on the cultural nature of, of what his business is doing in society. Um, but he's doing it just from talking about his own company, talking about stuff he already is. And there's a huge impact to have. Um, a lot of people will spend, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook, doing Facebook advertising, Twitter, um, Instagram, stuff like that. But if I could have a thousand people see my Facebook ad or have a thousand people on a podcast hear my, hear me talk about my, um, my company and my company culture and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm serving God with my whole heart and soul and mind. And we're profitable and, and we're hiring and we're, you know, we're uh, looking for partners. You know I mean? You could just mm-hmm. fit all that into one interview and have a thousand people hear it. Well, that's way more productive than a thousand people seeing your Facebook ad. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's incredible the, the benefits that you can get out of kind of this new PR world that we're in. So that's that's how I started. That's why I started Pingo Media. I started seeing um, a, a big need for um, uh, Christian businesses and content creators um, to um, access and kind of utilize this new media world that we're in in a way that can will drive a lot of value to their businesses and everything. So that's Pingo Media, um, and so that's I think Dropway Pingo Media. Oh, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the network, mm-hmm. the Fight Laugh Feast network. Um, so when we started Cross Politic, about two years into Cross Politic, we were like, man, you know, God's blessed us with um, a lot of listenership. Well, we don't want to just be like this, you know, Cross Politic. We don't, we don't want to be, um, you know, personality Christians or famous personality yeah. Christians, you know. Um, uh, you know, we wanted it. We, we push against that. We don't want the we don't want the fame. We, we just want the impact. You know, we want to use what God's given us to, to change what God allows us to change, you know? Um, and so none of our motivations was ever to get popular. Uh, and, uh, the network concept kind of came out of like, well, God's given us his audience. Well, let, who else has a good voice? Who else has a, a, something that they're doing that's good and they could start a podcast and then come on our network and we kind of build out from there. And so that's why we started the fight Lefties network was because, and we wanted to um, work with content Christians, Christians, pastors, uh, you know, business leaders and stuff 
who didn't have a podcast, who maybe would bet, who we could help start a podcast, tell them, tell them how to start a podcast, give them the tools to start a podcast, and then they can drop on our network into you know millions of downloads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we started the Fight Laugh Peace Network was to be able to help and and share the growth of what God's doing in us. Now, since then, our vision is is getting bigger and bigger in what we want to do there. We really do. Our end goal is to compete with um, Fox, compete with ABC, compete with NBC. And the reason is, is for one, it goes back to, you know, all this overhead that it takes to run Fox and NBC, ABC, all the stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, it's expensive in this new <laughs> world. I don't, I don't got to buy a TV license to the Dallas, Texas market. I don't got to buy a TV license to Phoenix, Arizona market, yeah. right? I can just create an app and stream online and you don't, you, you bypass all these stupid um, regulations that the federal government is correct. Is, um, uh, the meeting has ended after 40 minutes. No, I'm still here. Okay. Okay. It just popped up on my screen. Hmm. Um, uh, and so I, I don't, so being able to build your own app and stream live and, and uh, disseminate your own network, Without all these regulations, is just the internet's just changed the whole game, even with government regulations, which is fantastic. Yeah. And so, um, but here's the other thing: so, um, ABC, Fox, you know, um, CBS, you know, these networks have been around for 40, 50 years, whatever, longer, even one of them, two of them, longer than that. Um, they took thirty years. They worked hard for thirty years to build up to their audience that they have now. You know, they're, you know, Tucker Carlson gets, you know, three to five million viewers a night on a high night. He might get six. Million. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, Sean Hannity's around two million view viewers, stuff like that. Um, but Christians have abandoned the media space. And it's, and it's, it's, it's really sad. You know, nine, uh, 87% of journalists are Democrats, registered Democrats, 87%, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, Fox is the only conservative major network out there, you know, and Fox has, Fox has Bruce Jenner, uh, a, a man who thinks he's a woman as a contributor, you know, yeah. I mean, it's an insanity. Yeah. Uh, Fox, Fox, um, has no problem platforming, uh, the homosexual community. That's not, that's not conservative at all. Right. Um, there's nothing conservative about a Christless conservatism, and so we have uh, this uh, this this space that's ripe for harvest for Christians to get involved in. So the whole network. So we want to, uh, as the Lord blesses us and investors come along, we want to create you know cooking shows, hunting shows. Hmm. Um, uh, we want to take over the sports world. The sports world just um, ESPN lost me. I think it was in 2017 when they gave Bruce Jenner the SP awards. They just lost me. I'm like, uh, I'm done with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a woman, you know, um, <laughs> uh, it, uh, you know, um, so we want to, we want to create sitcoms. I mean, we want to create a whole network, Christ-centered content for the whole family. Yeah. Um, and that, and the beauty of a network, the power of the network is you're actually discipling families over generations. Yeah. And, and, it, the the impact of actually what it means not not only the financial potential of what a, a a network has in the economy it's massive 
Um, but the discipleship impact is, you know, a lot of Christians, you can maybe get Christians to fund a, you know, Kurt Cameron movie for $3 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. They'll put in 3 million bucks and they'll fund a Kurt Cameron movie. And then Sony gets all the profits from it. You know, we just don't think clearly about this kind of stuff, but we think funding a movie is discipleship, or we think funding a movie is hot, and sexy, and cool and all that stuff. And Kurt Cameron's in it. And, you know, a lot of people are going to watch it and all that stuff. And all that's true. Kurt Cameron attracts. He makes every money, every movie he makes, um, he, every movie he makes, he, money's made off it. Yeah. Um, uh, but what happens is, is you, um, uh, lose out on multiple layers of, of opportunity. So, um, because Christians have banned the media and the, the, the most they'll do is fund a, you know, some sort of $3 million Kirk Cameron movie. Well, that movie's impact will only last for six months, mm-hmm. a year, year and a half, two, you know, two years. You know, I mean, it, 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 it the, the impact is very short. But if Christians, um, like what we're trying to do with the Fight Lab Peace Network is, to build a $30 million network over the next 30 years. Um, well, all of a sudden, um, it took Fox 30 years to get, you know, Tucker Carlson 3 million views in a night. Mm-hmm. It, you can, it, the, the impact that you can have in discipleship over uh, 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 with what a network can offer to a, to a culture and to society is just massive. Uh, but we Christians, we've thought so short-sighted about the impact of, of media on culture that we, we don't see, I think the the entrepreneurial vision that we can have for this, and, and especially we're in a, we're in an opportunity like never before. Um, you know, we don't we don't have the the cords of cable. We can cut our cable cords. We can we don't have to go through all these gatekeepers and everything. And we can do this ourselves in our way right here, right now. Um, so that's kind of the bigger vision, the bigger entrepreneurial vision of of the network um, uh, and what, where we're trying to go. The world says masculinity is toxic. Everything the world says is backwards. That means masculinity is medicine. Everything the world tries to shame out of you is what you need to live a healthy, fulfilled, virtuous life as a man. But I said shame out of you. Everything you need is already within you. Because you can't get masculinity from the outside. You can't buy it in a PDF or watch it in a YouTube video. That's what the men who lead cults of personality sell you. Keep watching my content, they seem to say, and you can be a man like me. It doesn't work that way. Virtues cannot be purchased. They must be cultivated. To become a virtuous man takes dedication and effort, guidance and feedback, purpose and direction. No one can give you those things but you. Our fathers are supposed to train us in virtue, our churches and culture too. But for those men who grow up with absent, abusive, or distant fathers, what then? For men who grow up in feminized churches, the situation gets worse. And don't get me started on culture. It can all seem hopeless, but it isn't. The Renaissance of Men is about the worldwide movement to rebirth masculinity for a declining age. That's what everything I do is about, because that is my story. And it can be your story, too. I'm thrilled to announce my 12-week Renaissance mentorship, 
your chance to make all the values of the Renaissance real in your life with guidance from a man who's lived it and the wisdom of dozens of conversations with other men who have too. But here's what makes this mentorship different from the other coaches, courses, and programs available on the internet. I don't want you to become a carbon copy of me. I want you to become the best version of you, expressing all the gifts that you've been blessed with. That takes conversation, care, listening, and investment. Everything you've heard on this podcast. And that is why it's a mentorship. To learn more and see my testimonials, visit renofmen.com mentorship. There you'll find much more information than I can give in this brief ad. I'm very proud of this program. It represents everything I want to see in the world, and I believe in it with my whole heart because it works. I'm so confident in it that it comes with my personal guarantee. In 12 weeks, we will permanently change the direction of your life as a man, or I will work with you until we do. And for a limited time until the end of January, use the code INTRO to get 15% off the program. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. That's all, that's all fantastic. Uh, because I think one of the most valuable, and you said a lot of really great things in, in there, and, and um, I'll, I'll pick a point to dig into, but I think the most important thing of what you said is learning how to think entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially. That's very difficult for some, for some men that haven't grown up in an environment like that. They grow up you know, going to university or, and, and going for some sort of corporate job, and none of these things really train you to think entrepreneurially self-starting, you know, to, to do your own thing. It's, it's to be a cog in the machine versus, and, and the machine is going in some very bad directions right now. So as you, as, as a Christian looking out at the world and saying, what can I create from my own initiative and my own energy that can benefit myself and my family, the world as a whole, and my Christian family, right? Uh, my church, I think that that's a powerful that's a powerful step to take, but a lot of men don't know how to think that way. And what you just laid out was an entire way of like, here's a whole bunch of different pieces for where you're at and in the journey as a man, wherever you might be, whether you're just leaving a corporate job at the very start or developing you know your your network into something larger to create more opportunities for more men and women. Like that's the whole journey that you just articulated there. So I think anyone can look at that story and see themselves reflected at some point in that timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this gets kind of the heart of your podcast. One of the reasons why um, I think this entrepreneurial mindset is not more prevalent in the church like it should be yeah. is because the church has taught their people to play it safe. Don't take risks. Don't take risks. Um, we've taught that money is at minimum dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a lot of money, you're greedy. Yeah. Uh, and and then we've taught the men, particularly, churches all catered towards effeminate worship, effeminacy. So we've particularly taught the men that your masculinity is not really that welcomed here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you put those three things together, and and it's a bad cocktail for um, uh, the, the the Christianity that we have now. 
um, if you think about the Protestant work ethic, the Protestant work ethic, the Puritan, the Huguenot hustle, the, um, uh, I mean, Protestants were known for their hard work. Uh, and, and now Christians are known for being nice, known for acquiescing, known for, you know, um, yeah. uh, and, and we need to reclaim uh, what it means to be a, a Christian. And then, of course, you, you add like, um, so our view of masculinity is very much a problem here. And then our view of uh, the end times and, and not being post mills is very much a, <laughs> yeah. a problem here too, right? Yeah, because they're related. If they're related. If if I believe the world is going to disappear in ten years, twenty years, or within my lifetime, then why build a church building? Why mm-hmm. build a thriving business? You know, no. What I want to do is I want to build my business and I want to sell it. <laughs> That's what this is. Where this, all right? This is another area where it really bugs me about Christians. Um, and this is something that I've learned over the years. So I bug myself about this too. So don't don't act like I'm just getting on getting on you or getting on you, we're the audience in. listener who sold a company. Yeah, we're all on this one. Uh, Christians, we're all in this together. Over the years, yeah, yeah. We've built businesses and then we sell them for big buy, value, high dollar amount to, to pagan corporations. Mm. That's what we've done. And you think of, even think of uh, uh, PureFlix. PureFlix just did this. Built up this yeah. big subscriber list, and they sold themselves to Sony. What a joke! And, and and but what what we're we're doing? There's so much bad going on right there in that moment when we should yeah. stop selling our businesses, okay? Um, because we're doing it. We're damaging things on multiple levels. First, we don't own that company anymore. We're selling it to the pagans. They own it. They become the masters. We become the servants. Secondly, and this is the more egregious thing that is going on, is we're actually um, uh, and the name of getting paid a getting paid out of a nice chunk uh, a nice chunk of money, we're forfeiting generations of covenantal um, success and covenantal. Uh, you know the way God, uh, Toby, Toby, uh, Pastor Toby uh, mentioned this in passing, I think a, a while ago, but God designed covenant families to become rich over generations. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of what it means to be faithful to God, that your children grow up to be Christians, that your kids' children grow up to be Christians, that your children's children grow up to be Christians. Over yeah. time, it is naturally going to grow into a thriving economy if you're faithful. And, and so when, we, when, a, when a dad, Christian dad, sells his thriving company, because he wants to cash out his $5 million or whatever. Yeah. Um, what he's actually doing is he's selling his, his kids' kids, children's children's inheritance mm-hmm. in a real way. Yeah. Uh, and so I, want, I would love to see a big, massive shift. I'm not saying it's evil and sinful to sell a company. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is get a bigger vision of what it means to be a an owner of a company, get a bit bigger vision of what it means to be a Christian who owns a company and is able to bless all these families with, with um, living wages that can help raise more families that can help raise more independent anti-fragile Christians who aren't working for Microsoft, who aren't working for the big hospitals who are going to fire you for not getting backs to all that stuff yeah. is build your own companies and, and raise your children up in covenant faithfulness in such a way when they, are ready that they take over your company faithfully 
and then their kids are raising their kids. And so now you have companies like, you know, um, I mean, think of all these legacy companies, like legacy companies like Henry Ford, you know, Ford Motors, um, you know, uh, generations that should have been owning that. And of course, there's generations involved in that in that company. Um, uh, Schweitzer Engineering is a, a kind of a family startup here in town, and now they're they're kind of they're owned by the, a big portion of it's owned by the family, but then also it's employee owned. It's an employee owned company. Kind of interesting, interesting concept. Um, but the but the point is, is start companies and and be faithful in such a way where you're raising your generations up to take over. Um, there's a little, uh, I think, an analogy here that's helpful for this thought process. Um, I remember my mom and dad didn't buy their first house until 1997. I was 18 years old. That's mm-hmm. when they owned their first house. I was 18 years old. When my mom and dad bought the first house. I'm on my third house. My first house was a duplex. Uh, my mom and dad gave me money to uh, for a deposit to get the duplex. Uh, my second house was a family family house, and then I was able to sell that house and upgrade to 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 a, a house on more land. Um, so, uh, but think if, if, if you're, uh, you know, your mom and dad, when you leave the house and your mom and dad are able to give you a bicycle. And so now you, you leave the house, they bought you a bicycle. You don't have to go buy a bicycle and you can be productive with this bicycle delivering newspapers, pizza, whatever. And then as you get older and your kids leave the house and you're able to give your kids, let's say a car when they leave the house. Well, now they have that much more capital to work with. They have that much more um, a benefit uh, and and uh, entrepreneurial power. Now they can use that car, let's say that truck to mow yards and to, you know, do construction, whatever. And then their kids, they, they grow up and then they're able to give, to buy their kids a house when they graduate. Oh my goodness. They don't have to pay a mortgage now or find a down payment or whatever. How much more entrepreneurial and how much of a bigger impact could they have on their own family and the economy because they aren't burdened by it. So that the generational thought process of what it means to raise your kids and try to, of course, there's, there's the, the pitfall in all this is where you raise your kids to be selfish. You raise your kids not to be able to handle blessing. You raise your kids not to be able to handle money. And then you raise some spoiled brat and they leave and they go and do the prodigal son thing. Yeah. That is a, obviously uh, I can, I can, I've had so many rich friends who can't raise their kids well and their kids grow, grow up to spoil their inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, mm. that's not the intended way that God wants us to raise our kids. Yep. You know, I think Christians are very hesitant. Like, Oh man, if, if I raise my kids and, and we had all this money and, and then they left the house and I bought them a car and then they just take it all for granted. Well, don't raise your kid that way. That's, that's the problem. You're you, whatever you're doing, you're instilling in your kid. You're buying him this car in such a way where he's taking it for granted. Well, stop doing that. Figure it out. Raise your kid in such a way where you buy him that car, and then he realizes, he he understands the Bible and says, he you know he who's faithful be faithful in little, faithful in much. That's that's what you want. So if my kid has a bike, he's faithful in little, faithful in much. If my kid ha- if he's able to if I'm able to provide him a car when he graduates, faithful in little, faithful in much. If my kids, I'm able to buy my kid a house when he graduates, whatever, faithful and little, faithful much. All he thinks is like, oh, well, I just got this little blessing and I need to figure out how to make, you know, turn it into tenfold, you know, the parable mm-hmm. of the talents, you know, fivefold, tenfold. I, if I bury it in the backyard, 
that the guy who got the talent and took it and buried it in the backyard, he didn't lose the talent. He didn't spend the talent on drugs, sex, and rock and roll. He just buried the talent. And he was the bad guy in that parable. It's it's the it's the Christians who are who are being faithful and and taking that one talent and turning it to two talents, taking that five talents and turning it to ten talents. That's the faithful Christian. That that's the picture of what a faithful Christian looks like that God gives us. And so that's how we need to be raising our generations in this in this world and thinking very entrepreneurially and thinking about how can I set my kids up to be far more financially successful than I was, and to be faithful and little in that to bless the kingdom of God in that. And so that's that's um, a paradigm shift that we have to have in the church, yeah. and it has to come from our paradigm shift of how we look at masculinity, our paradigm shift of how we look at risk, because the parable is all about risk. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to go invest that five talents. That's a risk. Um, and so, how do we think about risk? Um, uh, I remember um, last point here, and then I'll let you go. Um, we had <laughs> Pastor okay. Pastor Wilson. <laughs> we had Pastor Wilson on the show. Um, at the beginning of, uh, or in the middle of the pandemic, mm-hmm. somewhere around 2021, I, f- I forget, he had just finished the book with David Bonson on economics. Mm. And on the show, um, you know, we had the pandemic kind of coming out of the pandemic. The economy's not doing very well. I think Joe Biden's president. Um, you know, it's just, just things look tough. You know, interest rates are going up, going up all this stuff. Things are tough. Where do I invest my money? All that stuff. Where do I, you know, and I asked Doug, you know, in a moment where people are maybe hunkering down and saving their money and trying to figure out how to weather the storm that way. I asked Doug, I was like, what's your pastoral concern in this moment? And he said, um, well, actually my, my, my biggest concern is that our people stop taking risks. And, and you're in this moment where like interest rates are going up. Supply chains are broken because of COVID. The economy is not doing well. The, you know, the, the government is is making it more difficult um, uh, to be an entrepreneur. You know, all this stuff. Cities are burning. Cities are burning. Yeah, you you had the BLM riots. Cities are burning. All this stuff. And my pastor's biggest concern was that um, people aren't being faithful, taking risks, and, I, and that hit me really well. And I was like, oh, that's how. God wants us to constantly be thinking, where's the opportunity in this trial? Where's the opportunity in this problem? Where's the opportunity in the storm? Um, and, you know, we're, um, because God wants us to be faithful and take the right kind of risk because that he doesn't want us burying our talents in the backyard. The guy who didn't take risk was the bad guy in that parable. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, uh, wherever God has you, figure out the risk that you can be taking, whether you're, a son in the house. Um, you have you mow yards. You you are you own a business. You are an employee at your company. Wherever God has you, figure out how to take the right kind of risk. Um, because God and and you know risk risk or risk, you will lose. Um, I've lost out. I've, I mean, the, the list of businesses um, have definitely <laughs> shifted over time on my email yeah. list. You know. Um, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, there's our, well, there's so. businesses that have dropped off, you know. Kind of thing. <laughs> hey, well, I, I really hope that everyone is listening really carefully to what you're saying. And I really mean that because if someone were to come to me and say, Will, I have questions about Christian entrepreneurship. Who should I listen to or who should I talk to? Until, until 
now, I wouldn't have known where to send them. But everything that you've been saying, especially there, is so vitally important. And the thing, the thing that I want to pull out, and I can pull a lot out of that, is what you said about um, Christians passing on businesses to the next generation and not selling them. Because I think, I think that's very real, and I think it goes along with the discipleship question. Because if you disciple, disciple your children in the faith, they will stay faithful in the faith. But there's this, there's this idea in American culture that you know, a man can start a business, and I think he naturally wants to pass it on to his kids, but his kids are like, yeah, no, I want to go to the big city, or I want to go do something else and throw away my family legacy. So a lot of prior generations of Americans have had to discard their family businesses because the later generations haven't wanted to participate in the family business. And there seems something, it seems like there's something very um, anti-masculine about that, that a man can build everything up and want to pass it off to his son and find that his son is interested and has bigger dreams elsewhere. And that seems to me to be a discipleship question that is also tied to the notion of maybe we should reduce, we should shift, not reduce, but shift our ideas of what prosperity is. Is prosperity the big $5 million once-in-a-lifetime check? Or is prosperity $15,000, $20,000 from a productive business for life that you don't have to worry about? Right. And we live in this big, you know, this lotto culture. Someone was telling me, the owner of my gym, I train with the owner of my boxing gym, 60-year-old man. The guy, the guy is incredible. <laughs> he, he works me into the ground. And he, and he made a joke. He said, I think I'm going to sell the business. I said, wait, why? Because I love this boxing gym. He said, well, in, in, case I win, in case I win the lotto. He said the lotto is like a billion dollars, right? He was joking. He'd never sell his business. But like we have this idea of going for the big billion dollar once in a lifetime thing when it's like, isn't building a productive business that you can pass on and grow from generation to generation to generation a more valuable inheritance, right? And, and, I, and I don't know that we think that way as Americans, and it sounds like we don't think that way as Christians either. Yeah, and I, I yeah, and I'd just say just a, I'd say a couple things there. Uh, one is uh, just that that generational um, vision of of how God. Um, wants covenant faithfulness to extend that over a thousand generations. It says, you know, in, in uh, uh, Deuteronomy and in Exodus and the Ten Commandment narratives, you know, if you obey me, I'll bless you to a thousand generations. If you disobey mm-hmm. me, I'll, I'll curse you to the third and fourth generation. And so, um, I mean, a thousand generations? Yeah. You know, the, the, the wrench, the wrench crane, the Spencer clan to a thousand generations? What does that look like? I'm fired that look up like? for it. Amen. And, and but uh, if, Oh, uh, I'd say this is as a side note, but this is very applicable to here. Um, if I have four kids, and then my kids have four kids, and then my kids have four kids, and then my you know faithful, and that that multiplier effect, and they're faithful Christian children over the next hundred hundred and fifty years um, in Idaho, uh, I think by the end of a hundred years, there's something like around like three hundred thousand kids, you know, grandchildren. Wrench, wrench clan running around. I know. Um, uh, it takes um, about a 250,000 votes to win a governor election here in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> but, but because we've been so short-sighted, we think, oh, our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. It's actually, if you're faithful, if your family is faithful, and what your family can accomplish over the next hundred years, 
um, is, I mean, just, just think about, um, if you guys listen to Pastor Wilson's sermon on the state of the church a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. he just talked about how, um, uh, uh, the Tyler family um, had eighty uh, year old dad had a son at eighty years old, and then mm-hmm. that son grew up at eighty years old and had another son. It's, that's it was really rare, very rare occurrence where two two eighty year old dads basically had yeah. had sons over generations. Well, this the this dad this the, the first dad eighty year old his dad was President Tyler. Hmm. You have you have the the son is the grandson is you know so so great great grandfather president tyler right here we are mm-hmm. uh son grandson um great grandson is alive right now mm-hmm. and so you go back four generations and all of a sudden president tyler in the 1800s wow that's a that's a you know 160 years 100 you know whatever it is 150 years um, that's such a small time. Our country's not that old, and mm-hmm. you're we're we're sitting here thinking like our our country's you know going to hell. Well, if you're faithful where where you're at, imagine what God can do in the next hundred years in your family, yeah, and in your church community. And I mean, we got to have more faith. We got to have far more faith. Our faith is so small, and and we see the you know, the FBI going after the pro-life movement. We see, you know, we see all these things and we think this, this something cataclysmic is going to happen. Um, but the way God works is through families and through generations of faithful churches. And in a hundred years, America could be more Christian than we ever could have imagined. And we think we're going the other way. We might be, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I think things are, things don't look good when you got drag transgender drag kid shows. Um, I grant you that, um, but that's not how God wants us to think, and that's not the kind of faith that He wants us to exercise when we're raising our our kids to be faithful children of the kingdom of God. Well, and this is the this is the power of post millennial eschatology. It's like no one's mm-hmm. no one's coming to bail you out. Like the clock ain't running out on the fourth quarter. Like you got to start you got to start building now. That's right. Because uh, right. you know, uh, and, and I think that once men start putting those pieces together. You know, it's not just a way of looking at whether America or the world is coming to an end. If it's not, and you're going to be here, and your kids are going to be here, and your grandkids are going to be here, what are you going to do about that as a man? Mm-hmm. That's right. And I, I'm, I was listening to, I think, um, Pastor Doug put out a video yesterday um, where he said that gospel-centered, something was something about being gospel-centered, and he said, men are, we're so afraid of being wo- worldly that we've stopped being earthy. And I just thought mm-hmm. that was a brilliant, a brilliant insight. Yep. You know, why should we, we're worried about acquiring wealth because we don't want to be seen as greedy, but generational mm-hmm. wealth is how we create prosperity. You know, we're That's worried right. about getting in the gym and exercising because we don't want to be vain, but our bodies are how mm-hmm. we serve our family and our community. And mm-hmm. that, that loss of distinction in there. And we have to learn to think about these things in a much higher resolution in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't, we don't know how much Gnosticism has yeah. affected the Christian church. Yeah. Uh, where we think, um, you know, spiritual good, material bad. Yeah. Uh, and 
and that's had a huge impact on the church. I'm going to, I'm speaking at this uh, business conference at Oral Roberts University um, in Tulsa at mm-hmm. the end of January. And uh, I've been thinking through this, you know, this is like reform, charismatic, uh, which includes, you know, some influence from the Bethel crowd. You know, <laughs> um, there's a lot of messed up theology there. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of, I think, um, and I think there's, you know, they're going to answer, they're going to, especially the leaders are going to answer for what they've been teaching. They're going to answer God for what they've been teaching, hands down. But this is a business conference. And there's, <laughs> yes. a, there's, a, there's a lot of, I think, uh, a lot of Christians, especially businessmen and, and um, um, influential people of money, are attracted to that charismatic movement. Because the one thing that they, I think, get right in all the wrong ways is material is not bad. In fact, if you got a lot of material, you got the blessing of Jesus on you. Mm. Right. And I think, and again, yeah. I think some of their, how they're getting to the conclusion is, is off, but that's why I think a lot of um, wealthy, influential, rich people are attracted, are attracted to the charismatic movement is because they don't go to church every Sunday in a reformed church or in a Baptist church and feel guilty about the money that God's given them through their mm-hmm. hard work. And, yeah. and, and, but the, but the reformed, you know, Baptist, Presbyterian, evangelical world, like the Gnosticism has effect, affected us so much. We can't even see that, uh, how, how, um, we've rejected the material, uh, world of God around us. And, and we're scared in a lot of ways, we're scared of, it. Mm-hmm. we're scared of being, having money. We're scared of, you know, having guns. We're scared of, you know, it's everything everything's danger, 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 risk, 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 or careful, be careful, careful, careful. And, and that's just, um, I think Gnosticism is driving that. And so we need to, we need to, like, like Doug was saying, we need to think very earthy about the gospel. We need to think very earthy about, um, how God wants us to take dominion in this world. Um, it's just, we've been influenced, uh, in the wrong direction for a long time. And that, and of course, and that gets back into the Gnosticism of man, male and female, masculinity and femininity yeah. and, and all those um, uh, rabbit trails. Absolutely. I know we're getting to the end of the time that you've got available, but I wanted to, um, I wanted to pose a question for you so that could maybe help the listeners think through how to apply some of the things that you've talked about in their lives. So imagine a man who's maybe in his, uh, his, his early or mid-30s, has a kid or two is part of the corporate world and is seeing the direction his corporation is going. Maybe it's a slow slide into woke, you know, like over the past couple of years, they've managed to fend off the mandates and stuff, but now there's starting to be signs of, you know, maybe some pronouns and in, in, in email signatures and stuff like that. And he's seeing it going in the wrong direction. And he rec- he's, a, he's a good faithful Christian, goes every Sunday, you know, wants to disciple his family, but can't yet see a way to transition out of you know, 40, 50 hours work for the company to starting his own thing. He wants to. He wants to begin going in that direction. What kind of advice would you give, um, would you give that man for where he can start and what he can begin doing? Because this, I think, will be up for a lot of men. Yeah. I think, um, first of all, um, make sure that you're being faithful to your employer and, and, and doing the best you can. Um, don't don't start trying to get one foot out the door and start shortchanging your employer mm. um, in all this. Um, so that's um, 
you want to be a blessing to your employer, no matter how woke they are. Um, and, and that means also, I would say related to this is, um, speak up like, um, in your board meetings, in your manager meetings, in your, you know, um, water breaks, you know, like, like speak up. Um, you know, if someone has personal pronouns in their emails, be like, are we really doing this? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, at what point do the scientific view of personal pronouns becoming subjective? Some, at some point it's going to affect how you view your balance sheet at your company. It's just a subjective balance sheet, credit and debit. <laughs> Who cares? Male and female, you know, it's going to, it's going to affect five. everything. Yeah. If you reject absolute truth. So you got to speak up, you know, Daniel and Babylon, he gets into Babylon and the first thing he does is pick a food fight. That's, that's his, that was his fight. And he's this slave in Babylon and he orders the, the king's um, servants to feed him vegetables. Um, I don't even know. I mean, that's not, there's not even a Levitical law there. I, I'm not quite sure why um, Daniel even picked vegetables, but he picked a food fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was allowed to eat meat. There's nothing wrong with eating meat um, in the Bible, but Daniel just said, I want vegetables. And, and so that's where D- Daniel threw down. And, and then, of course, God blessed that and, and God established Daniel in, in righteousness. And then, of course, became one of the king's, you know, magi, one of the one of his wise guys. Um, and so I think you need to you need to throw down and sometimes um, and you need to throw down well and, as a, with a, as a, and, and not angrily and cantankerously and all that stuff. But you, you need to pick. Pick a line, you know, vegetables. I don't know. I don't know what it is at your company. And just say, uh, no, this is, this is, you know, this is how I'm going to, uh, this is where, this is where my battle's going to be at here. So make sure you aren't like leaving your company in a, in a way that um, you neglected some of your duty to say something. Um, now, not all the time, you might not be in a situation to say something and, and you might not have the right voice for it. You might not be, have the right gift for it. Um, you know, uh, you know, you need to, you need to process that and get some pastoral counsel there. But I would, I would make sure I'm working hard and busting my company and I'm making sure I'm speaking up where I need to speak up because I, 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 you just can't let, um, lies flourish in your company culture. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, actually trying to figure out an exit strategy because you're with a woke company and you know, you're going to get fired once you refuse to use someone's personal pronoun in the, in the, in the office, which I've had friends at Amazon get fired for that. Um, and so, uh, don't worry about getting fired for being faithful. Don't ever worry about that. God is in control. Uh, God is, um, not working in you. Uh, God is, uh, has got you. Um, so you just keep acting and living, you know, in such a way where, you know, if you get fired, God's got it. I don't know how he's got it, but he's got it. Um, so get those three things, three things down first. Then, um, you know, start running an assessment with your gifts, your opportunities, um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 it's, it's, uh, opportunities, abilities, and, uh, strengths. So work with your opportunities, abilities, strengths, kind of run that, that scenario. What are my opportunities? What are my gifts, abilities, and what are my strengths? 
and and kind of figure out um, where uh, you know what that calculation looks like for you. Um, you know, and meet with a business leader in your church. You know, get get advice. Don't be one of those guys who's constantly reading all these self help help books and business books mm-hmm. and stuff. That's that's um, retarded. But get um, get advice and get help. Get some get some wisdom. Uh, start kind of running the calculation of who you are as a person and the abilities and gifts that God has given you, and and then figure figure that out. There's a um, a lot of opportunity to buy businesses. You can use um, you can take out home equity loans to roll into a and buy a business. Now that's something I would recommend look at. You know, look in your local region. There's a lot of success stories where mom and pop builds up their business and they put all the sweat equity into it, and then they want to retire. Mm-hmm. And that, that that the potential growth of that business can skyrocket. They put in all this hard work of three to five years, seven years of that's the hardest work of, of a business, that 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 three to seven year area. And that mom and pop, they went through all the hard work and but they want to cash out now and you can buy a business at a low dollar amount and then take it to the next level and, and capture that growth revenue. Um uh and so I would be looking for companies like that to buy. Um, I would be looking for, um, you know, companies I could go work with, but I might have to take a pay cut, but I know I can grow and I know it's going to be good for me and going to be good for my family and everything. So, you know, take hits, take risks. Um, uh, don't stand still, whatever you do, don't stand still. Um, God doesn't drive a parked car, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and everything. So that'd be off the top of my head, just kind of how to think about those things. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. That's, that's really, really valuable advice. I've, I've been in some of those positions before, so I recognize that that's, um, that's some priceless advice right there. So where would you like to send men to find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, you can go to um, crosspolitik.com is where my show's at, crosspolitik. Um, uh, you can go to dropwave.io to find out about our podcast hosting. Even bring your church on there, your, your sermons on to the podcast hosting solution. Um, there's, a, of course, a free version and then a paid version mm-hmm. on dropwave.io. Uh, and then in terms of um, what I do with uh, Pingo Media, P-E-N-G-O Media, pingomedia.com is where my public relations are at. No, um, gaybrench.com should take you to all this. Gaybrench.com, no W-R-E-N-C-H.com should take you to all this stuff. So there you go, all over the place. Great. Thank you so much, Gabe. This has been an incredibly valuable conversation. I'm very grateful. Thanks for your time, Will. Appreciate it, man. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.